This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. Uh, The Black Pew Bible's in front of you. You can find that on page 890. Again, John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. pleasure to be here with you today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Howard Piñate. I'm actually the pastoral resident here at King's Cross. Uh, We've been here for the last past year, and it has honestly been a blessing to be here and to learn from some of our amazing pastors, uh, Pastor Trevor, uh, Orion, Pastor Will. Just, Just love these guys. But that being said, today we're in our series of John, and today I want to talk about foundations. I want to talk about foundations because, see, here's the reality. A lot of us build, if not everybody, builds their life on some kind of foundation. Maybe ethics, moral values, or maybe family heritage, tradition. What have you built your life on? And today, as we look at John chapter 5, we're going to look at 
these religious leaders who built their life on religion apart from God. And Jesus is going to expose them. So if you're taking notes, what we're going to be going today is to three simple key places in the text. Number one, Jesus is going to show his divinity over and over again. And then what he's going to do, point two, is he's going to verify through credible witnesses that he is exactly who he says he is. That is so important that we know that. And number three, lastly, he's going to expose the hardened hearts of these men who refuse and reject him over and over again in spite of all the truth that he lays out before them. So let's pray, and we'll, get, we'll go ahead and dive in and get started. But as I pray, pray for me, because I need Jesus just as much as you guys can do. So, Father, this morning, it is so, so hard at times to come in these rooms and with all the things that we're carrying from the anxiety of tomorrow and the work assignments and school and life and our children, the worries, like there's so much baggage we carry every single week, every single day. But Lord, today, would you refresh our hearts? Would you settle our minds? Would you remind us why we're here today? It's not for us. It's to be reminded of who you are, of how you sent your son to rescue us. So Holy Spirit, would you illuminate to us the divinity of your son? Like, would you show us the son? Would you show us our own hearts? And would you transform us? We need you desperately. So we ask you these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us, we've been going through the sermon series of John, and we're going to be here for a while. But man, John is my favorite book. I love going through it. And Pastor Ryan brought a lot of light last week into who Jesus was. And so if you've been following along with us, and if not, then I'll recap us. But John chapter 5 is Jesus confronting these religious leaders who instead of being glad and excited for this man who was an invalid for 38 years, they're mad and they're indignant toward Jesus. They even want to kill Jesus. That's how mad they are. And so this, this basically this open statement that Jesus gives in verses 19 through 29, he's communicating his deity who he is. It's so important that we look at that today. Because with this opening statement that Jesus is making in verses 19 through 29, we get to this point right now in verse 30. Where Jesus is saying to these religious leaders again. He's going to tell them now. He's like, look, I've told you who I am. Now I'm going to give you the receipts. I'm going to give you the proof by using these verifiable, credible witnesses. Look at verse 30, if you could. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying that he didn't come to do his own work. He's saying that he came to do what the Father sent him to do. Now watch this. Go over to chapter 6 and look at verse 40. And I'm going to show you what the Father's will is so you can see. Because this is going to be why Jesus is sent. John chapter 6 verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The purpose and reason why Jesus is telling these religious leaders about his divinity is so they would know that he is God in the flesh. These previous verses set up this, verses chapter 5, verse 19 through 29. I'm, I'm going to recap it for you, so I don't, we don't have to go through it all together, but I'm going to recap it for you. Listen to what Jesus establishes. He establishes that he's equal to the Father. He establishes that whatever the Father does, whatever he sees the Father does, whatever he hears the Father say, he likewise can do those things. He mirrors the Father. He also says that the Father raises the dead and gives life. And he said the Son has the ability to raise the dead and to give life. He says that the Son has been given authority to judge and pass judgment. He says that those who dishonor the Son dishonor the Father. He says that if you believe Jesus, if you believe him, then you have eternal life. And lastly, Jesus finishes up in this opening statement. He says that he is the Son of Man. He's reminding the Jews, these religious leaders, that he's been sent by God. He's not on a man-made mission. He's sent by God. Look at verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness myself, my testimony is not true. What Jesus is not saying is, he's not saying, don't believe what I'm saying. What he's about to establish is a very key thing they would do in the Old Testament. They would establish the testimony, not on just one person, but on multiple people. Deuteronomy verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 15, says this. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, for any wrong, in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three shall a charge be established. So what Jesus is going to do, he's going to bring witnesses to prove that he's the son of God. He wants these unbelieving religious leaders who have built their life on religion and not Jesus to see the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the might, and to see the Son in all of his glory. He wants them to be captured by the beauty, to see the Son. Look at the witness list he provides for us. Starting with verse 33, he brings in John the Baptist. Verse 33 says, And you sent to John, 
And he has borne witness to the truth. Not that that testimony that I receive is from man. He's saying it's not a man message. He's saying it's divine. But listen, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his lights. He brings in witness number one. And he brings in John the Baptist. And he reminds them. Hey, do you remember the guy who was just in all that camel hair, eating locusts and honey? That weird looking country guy? Do you remember him? Well, do you remember that you were excited when you heard him preach and teach? Because it was the first time in 400 years that God broke his silence. It was the first time they heard from a prophet. So they were excited. They were like a kid on Christmas Day. What do I got come to me? The message they heard was there's a Messiah coming. There was hope that would have built up. It would have been welling up inside of their veins in their life. They're like, yes, the Messiah is coming. We're finally going to have deliverance from our enemies. Our enemies are going to be destroyed. Rome is not going to have any strength on us. They're not going to have their hand over us anymore. We're going to be free people once again. And they would have longed to hear the message of John. Look at how Jesus describes him. He describes him as a burning and shining lamp. That burning communicates a passion, a zeal, a spirit-filled man. Because that's who John the Baptist was. It says that he was a shining light. Not that he was the light. But think about this light in this room, what it does. It illuminates the room. John the Baptist's responsibility was to bring knowledge of the will of God to show and point people to the Messiah. And that's exactly what John the Baptist does. Because in chapter 1, verses 1, verses 6 through 8, and John chapter 1, 29 through 33, I'm going to tell you what he says in these verses. You could turn there, you could turn there if you want to, but I'll tell you what he says. He calls Jesus the light, the true light. He looks and sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says that Jesus ranks before him because he was before him. And he testifies to witnessing the Spirit descend upon the Son. And he says, I've borne witness to this, and he is the Son of God. He brings in witness number two, verse 36. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. We see that Jesus, inside of John chapter 5, 
heals a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. Now, you, we can read that and be like, oh, that's amazing that God did that. But just, but just hear me out. Think about that. Think about the physiological changes that would have to happen in the body. Think about the months, the, the, the bone density that would need to regrow instantaneously to support this man's weight so he would not be crushed under his weak, thin knees and legs. Think about the muscle fibers that needed to be reconstructed, veins that need to be reestablished, blood flow. There are so many different things. Neurological changes in his body, sensors in his body that would have been going off, firing for the first time. Do y'all track what I'm saying? It is so important that you understand what Jesus' work, his miracle of healing, what it testifies is this. Jesus takes what is dead and destroyed, and he brings life. He brings life. He reconstructs. It's a miracle. And Jesus is saying, the very works that I do, and they testify, they bear witness that I am sent from God. He brings witness number three, the Father. Verse 37, he says, and the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He brings in the Father as a witness. Now, these religious leaders would not have heard what Jesus heard. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is getting baptized. And this is what the Father says. There's an audible voice from heaven, and this voice declares this. Matthew 3, 17 reads, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. They wouldn't have heard that, but Jesus knew that. And again, in Matthew 17, verse 5, where the, some of the disciples experience and see Jesus transfigured. They hear a voice from heaven, and they hear the Father speaks, and the Father says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And next he brings in the scriptures. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. The scriptures that he's referring to is the Old Testament. But what he's trying to establish to them through all these witnesses is that his witness of who he is is literally in plain sight. It would have been found in their understanding of the Old Testament. 
They should have known and seen and been reminded that Moses promised a, pro a prophet that one day would come. They should have been reminded that Jesus said, or the word says that one day a shepherd would come, which refers to Jesus, our true shepherd. In other words, they had the scriptures. They had the word right in front of them. But Jesus shows them that they search the scriptures because they think that in them they have eternal life. They miss the picture. Now, why do I say all this? Jesus was confronting religious people who built their life around religion, who built their life around religious practices. And if you would have looked at them, they would have looked like the guy at the Bible study, leading the Bible study, serving the community, helping out, knowing his scripture, knowing his word. But yet Jesus tells them, you don't have the love of God in you. Family, can I tell y'all something today? If we read the scriptures and we don't arrive at the point where we're worshiping Jesus and we feel like it's a burden that, oh man, here we go again, I got to go read my Bible or man, I got to go to this Bible study because I committed to, I signed a paper and they said I have to go to this class on Tuesday at 6 a.m. Like, if it's a duty for you, can I challenge us today to examine our hearts? Because it's easy to fall into religious tendencies. I know I'm guilty of that. I'm like, okay, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to study. Like, like I'm witnessing the people. I'm discipling people. Like, we get stuck in, like, work mode that we forget what it's about. Let, let, let me tell y'all a story. I'm going to confess something to y'all. So several years ago, I went on a mission trip with a group of people from Houston, and there was a hurricane that hit the island in Puerto Rico. And we went over there. The idea was we were going to witness to people, share the gospel, and then rebuild the building that had all this flood damage. So a lot of y'all don't know, but I have some construction background. I can actually build stuff here and there, believe it or not. And so we go over there, and my mind is so missionally engaged of getting the project done. Like, all I want to do is just get in there and make sure that they have a building so they can worship Jesus. Like, they need to have the best place. And I mean, it was a small place. I mean, size-wise, maybe about 25 feet long and about 50 feet wide. And about 35 people from the community would worship there. Listen to me. I spent four days so focused on the work of doing things that I forgot that there were people in that community that were broken and that needed Jesus. And I remember on that last day of work, one of the pastors pulled me to the side. He's like, hey, bro, let's go and take a ride in the community. And we go in the community and I start meeting all these amazing people and the Lord really convicted me because if I could be honest, my heart was angry. It was angry because I saw all these people who I forgot to love. I was so focused on myself and religious works of doing 
that I forgot to love, to love my neighbor, to hear them, to hear their voice, to hear what they've been experiencing. The island had 38 power plants and only two were operational on the entire island of Puerto Rico. Just imagine if there's rolling blackouts here in Missouri. Imagine that. And they said, hey, at exactly 10 to 7, you're not going to have any power. So just be ready for that. These people lived like that for several months, and I was not engaged because I was too focused on just doing. Family, can I ask us to examine our hearts this morning? And, 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 and let me give you some tools to examine that, if you will. Matt Carter, um, he gives us some tools. He tells us this. Matt Carter says, if you're a Christian and you read the Bible while missing the point, the point is Jesus, you're going to struggle with confusion, discouragement, frustration, ineffectiveness, and stagnation. And this is what he says about confusion. He says, you'll experience confusion because the parts won't make sense themselves. You'll experience discouragement because it, because it will seem like a duty instead of a delight. you experience frustration because your love for Scripture won't grow. He says ineffectiveness will happen because you won't understand why it matters in your life. He says stagnation. Listen to this. Stagnation will occur because you won't see the growth in understanding or maturity. Because you won't see growth in understanding or maturity. Family, let's be real with our hearts today. Because what Jesus does, he begins to tell these religious leaders that they've built their life on all these other things except him. Look at verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. These people, these religious leaders, they had a hardened heart. They continually rejected and refused Jesus' words. There is a constant refusal, even though that Jesus gives all these authentic witnesses, even though they saw the miracles for themselves. But we shouldn't be surprised. See, I believe that in the world we live, people will refuse and reject truth even when it's before them. It was true then and it's true today. That's just a reality. And you know what that reality meant for them when they rejected Jesus? They were rejecting eternal life. They were more married to the religious practices 
than they were to knowing Jesus. They did not have the love of God. They did not want the honor. They did not want to honor God, but they wanted to honor themselves, to praise themselves, to receive praise for themselves. They wanted glory for themselves. As we read John chapter 5, we need to look at this and be like, man, how have I refused or rejected the deity of Christ? See, here's the reality. Not everybody in this room is a believer. There are some struggling to, 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 to have faith in Jesus, and they don't know if they believe in Jesus or if they believe in a form of Jesus. Like, where are you at today? The witnesses that have been given are clear so that you would believe. But listen to me. Don't refuse the very grace of God that he's extending to you today. Because our human nature wants to rebel. Our human nature wants to be in control. See, listen to me. If, if we look at these religious leaders and we say, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. I, I believe in God. and This is how I feel. You're already growing prideful in your own heart. We should see them and be saddened by the refusal and the rejection. And it's written so that we don't refuse and reject what is obvious. Why this matters for you and me today is this. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, then Christianity isn't what it says it is. That means that your hope and your faith mean nothing. Did you hear what I said? It's all in vain. If Jesus didn't die for your sins, if he didn't die for your rebellion, if he didn't forgive you of your past and your guilt and your shame and your condemnation, if he didn't deal with none of that, you got to carry it. That means we all stand guilty before God. There remains no hope for us. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. But praise be to God that Jesus did come. That Jesus was a person physically on this earth who obeyed. Praise be to God that he came to rescue us despite our rebellious nature. The word says that no one does good, no one does right. Praise be to God that he had mercy upon people like us. Listen to me. God didn't need to save anybody. It's a grace that he saved anybody. Did y'all catch that? He didn't need to save anybody, but it's a grace that he does save some. And today, here's a reality. Will you continue to refuse and reject the free gift of God and saying to you, hey, you know what, brother? Your sins can be forgiven. Your past can be taken care of. Jesus came so your sins would be finally dealt with. And not just that, because in this text, he's revealing 
that we would have eternal life. If you're a believer in this room, you have a blessed assurance. We talk about the assurance that we sing and we say together during our, our, our time of worship. Can I remind you today, Christian, that you have an assurance that's not based on your works, but is based on another's work. It's based on the Savior's work. It's based on the Son of God who died for your sins. And I'm going to bring in another witness, the resurrection. Christian, your life is built on the resurrected life of Christ. Your hope is not futile. It's not in vain. You have a resurrected hope. And as you live out your everyday life following Jesus, don't hear me screaming at you. Hear me exhorting you. Because this is the things that I tell my own heart and my own moments of unbelief. Anybody struggle with unbelief or is it just me? Okay, praise God. I'm just being real with y'all. The reality is, is that we need Jesus every day. The reality is, will we reject Jesus and refuse him, or will we come to him humbly, asking him to help us, to see, to believe we need saving, and he does the saving. Now, this last part of this text, verse 45, let's look at it together, and I'm almost done. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you would have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? These religious leaders set their hope on a man, on the law. They found their value in their obedience. They found their worth in what they did. When you build your life on the things that what you do, and you think they position you right before God, Jesus is exposing, that's actually not how you're supposed to build your life. He says to, he says to them right there, you set your hope on Moses. And he also tells them that Moses will accuse him. Because Moses believed him and wrote about him. If you read the Old Testament and you read the book of Leviticus as an example, and you begin to say, man, all these animals are dying, how humane, unhumane, not humane, inhumane, and you start to say, man, like this is a slaughterhouse, like, man, this is so sad. Like, why are these animals dying? Why are, why are all these sacrifices happening? If you haven't gotten to the point of seeing that that is a shadow, that there is a requirement by God for life to happen, forgiveness to happen, there must be the shedding of blood. And if you don't arrive to the point where you see Jesus as the Lamb of God, 
who took our sins, then what you're doing is you're just reading the scripture for the sake of reading it. But when you start to see that Jesus is the spotless lamb, the sinless one, the perfect one, who died for your place, all your sins transferred to him, and you receiving his righteousness. If you haven't gotten to that point, I just want to encourage you to begin to read with Jesus as the main point. Because until then, you'll just see it as duty. The scripture should always lead you to see the beauty of Jesus. And family, lastly, I just, I leave off with this. As we've seen John establish not just witnesses, but Jesus himself confirming his identity and his divinity, let that truth settle in your heart this week. That you have a historical faith. It's not rooted in man. You don't need to be rocked when people tell you about their religion. You don't need to be shaken or stirred. You can have confidence that God is who he says he is. Let's pray. So, Father, we need of you this day. Would you help us believe that truth today that that you are who you say you are through your son. That your son truly did come and, and lived a perfect life to rescue us from ourselves, from our self-sufficiencies and our own form of self-righteousness. Like, like you came to rescue imperfect people. You came to rescue imperfect people who rebelled against you. You had mercy. You're the only one that has the power to save us from ourselves and our sins. But would you show us today that not only do we know that truth, but we believe that truth in our hearts. Would the love of God control and reign and rule over our hearts? that we would not just be doing religious practices during the week, but that we'd be motivated by the truth that you are the son of God who came, who lived, who died and resurrected for us. Like you are a real person. Help us believe that truth and live out that truth this week by the way we love you and, our lo and how we love our neighbor. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.